pathways we used to know These quiet towns we'll leave behind I try to feel you What's poppin'? It's QU Hot Takes My name is Andrew Wayne I'm alongside Andrew Marshall, Kevin Slattery And the Jelly Fam, Justin Ellis And we are here for QU Hot Takes Recording on the Friday after the Giants uh, Let's call it a mishap or a disaster have lost their Thursday night game, but we still have week two predictions and week two talk as well as from week one discussions. But to, to start things off here, Marshall, how you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great guys. You know, I, I just got to say, I'm sick of the Daniel Jones slander. When everything around you smells like shit, sometimes you do too. <laughs> That's all I have to say. I, I'm, I, I think he's better than people think he is. That's, that's all I got to say. Fair assessment. And Justin, how are you today? And maybe do you agree with that assessment? No, I'm doing pretty well. Um, usually the Eagles-Falcons games are pretty damn close. Uh, so I feel really good to see a complete showing of talent across the board. And I agree. Daniel Jones, I think, had a really good game last night. And I think it's pretty rough to give him all that slander. Kenny Galladay also... He has no right to complain. He didn't play last season. So him and Daniel Jones going at it on the bench, he needs to shut up because Daniel Jones, honestly, I think has better in status over him right now. Tony's given a little bit of, a little bit of cussing here and there as well on the social media. Well, let's keep in mind that uh, currently all of us in this room have more NFL receiving yards this season than Tony, who has negative two receiving yards. So he can also go to the little trash dumpster fire he belongs to. Wow. All right. We're going to, we're going to move on from that. Love that. Good love. Good love. Um, that was from an Eagles fan, but I still, <laughs> I still appreciate that slander. It, it's well warranted, well warranted. And Kevin, the Giants fan yourself, how are you uh, today? Uh, feeling good, man. You know, I woke up, I had a quesadilla in the afternoon, so I made that. That was pretty nice. I had fresh taco meat, fresh, fresh carne as they call it. So that was pretty good. But as a Giants fan, uh, you can't get lower than this. The Giants have officially become the new New York Knicks of 2016 Phil Jackson era. So uh, layers upon layers of clown show irony going on. And I mean, Daniel Jones is the least of the concerns right now. Like the least of the least. I would concur with that statement. And as a fellow Yankees fan, you're a Yankees fan too. That was a tough night as well for them. So uh, to be a New York fan is uh, stressful to say the least. And Kevin, the true New Yorker that he is, a fan all around the the horn. So we're feeling for you today. But nonetheless, we're going to have our show. So the best game of week one, we're a week out of football right now, or a week into football, I guess you could say. Uh, what was the best game of week one, in your opinion? And we could all have some subjective viewpoints on this one, um, but we will go to Justin first, your best game of week one NFL season. You know, even though I think the ending was a bit disappointing in terms of, I feel like they kind of robbed themselves. Uh, the Chiefs-Browns game, I thought, was really good and really entertaining, Um it really looked like the Browns had finally were like going to get their hoorah. It was going to be great. And then your punter forgot how to punt the football. Um, I don't know what happened really on that play. Cause I know a punter, if you fumble a snap, generally you're supposed to run around, but if that guy literally just looked at the field 
he would have known that his blockers had done such a good job. He could have probably still punted that ball. I think he had plenty of time compared to the average NFL punt to actually get that ball off. And he decides to run around. I would have done like literally anything. I would have at least tried to punt it because you're going to give the Chiefs the ball otherwise on your own 20. They're going to score. So I would rather just get blocked and like let them score the touchdown. And then you have the ball with more time left than be like, oh, I'm just going to take a hit. I I think that's a really disappointing ending to a really good game. But overall, I mean, that was the game I was definitely paying the most attention to outside my home team. Kevin, your favorite or best game of week one? Oh, favorite or best game? I was actually really into uh, Ravens Raiders. I was watching that game intently. You know, Derek Carr, like, he gets a lot of flack, but he's a good baseline starter in the NFL. And I think just the fact that they came back to, like, Raiders, like, new stadium, full crowd there, full capacity, it was something to behold, man. Um I still have questions about the Ravens and like the receiver talent, like after the game, but I was walking away actually kind of impressed by the Raiders um, and the fact that they won. But I mean, for me too, like I was also paying attention to the Packers saints game and that was, you know, not expected, but that's, you know, that's a different story for a different day. That was uh, not the best game of week one. That's for sure. Justin, what's up? Have you're saying not expected. You said the Saints would win by two touchdowns last week. I, you <laughs> nailed that out of the water. I don't know what you're talking I, about. <laughs> I I mean, I guess I did, but just not, not by proportions like that. I just, I thought they'd win by two, but I didn't think it would be that much of a blow. I didn't think they'd score three points. Like I thought Jameis Winston would do well. I didn't think he'd have five touchdowns. I didn't think Aaron Rodgers wouldn't have a touchdown. I was just stunned. Kev, you just got to say it with your chest and be like, I totally called that guy. (laughs) You're all idiots for thinking otherwise. You're supposed to slander us, man. I I appreciate (laughs) the modesty, though. I appreciate it. Humbleness. Humble Kev. Gotta love it. Uh, Marshall, your week one best game. Week one, I got to go Raiders, Ravens. Uh, I I think that there were so many turns in that game. Uh, anytime we get more football and anytime Brian Edwards gets 81 receiving yards out of nowhere. Hey, he's on pace for 1,377 receiving yards. Almost had the game winner. Um, but yeah, just a crazy game. Lamar, I don't know. That, that Ravens offensive line really, really concerns me. I think Lamar just kind of predicting ahead. I, I, I think we're going to have a lot of people wrongly putting Baker in their next year's quarterback rankings above Lamar based on how these two teams do this year. Um, I, I just don't think he's got that much support. The running back thing was clearly an issue. No Rashad Bateman. Um, and the offensive line issues is Ronnie, it's Ronnie Stanley and a bunch of dudes and the Raiders, like that's not some elite D line. That's been the problem. Like the past like three years with this team. I know Max Crosby is a good player. He's not a number one rusher though. If that guy's the best offense, if he's the best defensive lineman on your team, you, you know, it's not really that great for you. It's, it's the same thing I've had with Patriots fans where if Julian Edelman's the best receiver on your team. You're probably not that good either. So I just had to get that, that shot in at Pats fans. Hey, hey, Sammy Watkins is the savior of the Ravens. They, uh, they, they know that's coming for him for sure. Okay. The biggest surprise team of week one. So whether this was surprisingly good or surprisingly bad, 
I'm curious to see what you all have to say. And by the way, these questions this week are brought to you by the very own Jelly Fam, Justin Ellis. So your biggest surprise team, not player, that's the next question, team for week one. I myself will be the lame individual that says the Packers. You look at that team, you look at Aaron Rodgers, you look at Devonta Adams, what they were able to do last year. Call it embarrassing, call it confusing. We're going to talk about it later in the show, so I'm not going to dive into it. But I was surprised. I, I recognize that people are getting old and such, but three points, as Kevin mentioned before, pretty surprising for myself. But Justin, your most surprising team week one. Yeah, I feel that lean for the Packers, but honestly, I think the Saints are just that good. I just don't, I think the Packers will figure it out. They have rust to take off because their quarterbacks had that situation, but I think the Saints defense is just legit. Um, but as far as the team I was most surprised with, another surprising defense this week was actually the Arizona Cardinals for me. Chandler Jones going out there, old man, wanted to get traded has five sacks in his first game of the season. Like, I, I just don't know what to think of that. I mean, Derrick Henry was held in check. Ryan Tannehill was held in check. Um, A.J. Brown looked good. Julio Jones looked like a wash-up wide receiver who was just traded from his team. Um, so, all in all, I mean, the Cardinals across the board looked extremely productive. I, I knew this was probably going to be, like, Kyler Murray's best season by far but I was not expecting that kind of start against a very competitive last season Tennessee Titans team it's a valid point Marshall for you most surprising team of week one so it's a, a few teams I'd say one I think the Titans card game was 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 very surprising I think Johnny Smith and um, Corey Davis's absence are going to be a bit probably understated going forward. Taylor Luan looked like the worst. That was the worst offensive line game I've seen in the past probably year or two. That was absolutely terrible. Um, he looks, I mean, in post-game interviews, like even during the week that, you know, the journalists of, you know, who cover that team, the little clips that you see of the interviews of, of Taylor Luan, I, I think it's either a confidence thing. I, I don't, I don't exactly know, but I, how can your confidence not be shot? I mean, he, he looked absolutely terrible, like an almost undraftable level offensive tackle. And that guy's made pro bowls. Um, yeah. I mean, Arizona run blitz like the hell out of them. They just said, we know you're going to go under center and run this play action stuff and like dared them to do it. They had like six man surface fronts at parts of the game. So I, they called their bluff and Tennessee couldn't really do anything and just looked really disjointed. So that, um, that one, I, I think, and I'm going to say the Eagles and the Falcons, and I'll just say that I think people who believed in Jalen Hurts are starting to get a little validated. Um, people like Justin, who Justin was really high on him. Jalen Hurts, I, I now don't know what to make of the Eagles, but I'm now listening. I'm now paying attention to see what, like, the Eagles, I think, even from week one, like, whatever happens the rest of the year. They were plus 500 to win this NFC East division. One of the teams outside of the Cowboys was a good value bet. I think the Eagles are going to show why it might have been them. Um, they looked better than I thought. And I, I think it was just, you know, maybe I was numb to it. Just I, I was such an advocate for their own line for years and years and years. And it just they had so many other problems. Um, so I think having a, a quarterback like Hertz is very interesting. And obviously, Devontae Smith, you know, we all know what that guy brings to the table. 
that we do. And Kevin, your biggest week one surprise team. Uh, well, probably for me, I like, I would have said car, I would have said Cardinals Titans. I would have said that to begin with, but again, at the same time, I wasn't always a big Tannehill guy because of, again, like the dependency on the RPO and like feeling that if that gets snuffed out, what else do you have with Tannehill? Can he make every throw if it's not dependent on the RPO? But for me, I'm actually kind of looking at the 49ers and the Lions. Like that was a game I, I think that I had, and I think a lot of us had, where it's like, all right, it's going to be like a two touchdown win or a three touchdown win for the 49ers. Like they're going to absolutely maul the Lions. And they did early on, but late going into the fourth quarter still, it became a game with Jared Goff slinging balls in, into the other end zone. And like, I have questions about the 49ers uh, cornerback depth, to be quite honest, like post Robert Sala, you know, a team that's been injury prone for the last year since the Super Bowl run. Like, do they have the depth on defense that we think they actually da- do have, especially at the defensive back position? Like, I have questions now about the 49ers. Yeah, Jason Verrett being out for the season is going to be a huge deal for them, especially if they lose another corner at some point this season because that they, they already are having the major injuries like they had last season. I Someone that medical staff should be fired, honestly. I just don't know how this keeps happening year after year. But Kev's 100% right. Looking at the most surprising players from week one, I, I have a vision here, and this is Marshall talked about him already. We knew what we were going to get with Devonta Smith, right? We, I mean, Kevin said he was going to be a Hall of Famer, you know, all these things. I've been high on him. We all love him. But I did not really think that in week one, he was going to have eight targets, six receptions, and a TD, and basically the best wide out on the squad for the Eagles. I love that for him. I knew he was going to get there. But week one for a rookie, you know, similar to a Jamar Chase and his situation week one, I love that. I mean, a, a skinny guy who got injured it, uh, before the season started, and everybody's like, oh, here we go. The, the skinny guy is going to be injured. But he showed up, and he rocked it. So that was surprising, but in a good way. I love that for him. Justin, we'll go with you next. Surprise player uh, week one. You know, I wrote about this in my um... – article on chubacabra sports and i'm gonna say the same kind of story that i had again i um woke up on sunday morning for the first football game of the season i'm feeling great i'm like oh i'm gonna watch some like fantasy football now on espn 2 pregame and adam schefter comes on and they're talking about the 49ers stefania bell's like the injury expert there and she's a 49ers fan and they're talking about it. they're talking about raheem mostert and then all of a sudden they're like trey sermon is a healthy scratch Trey Sermon, who we've all been talking about this offseason, possibly taking over that 49ers running back role at the end of the season. And they're all like, yeah, I have Elijah Mitchell on my squad. And I'm like, who's Elijah Mitchell? No one's talked about him this entire offseason. You're telling me on the Sunday that football season is starting that there's this man who's drafted in the sixth round named Elijah Mitchell that we need to watch out for. And that is on the depth chart over Trey Sermon. I'm like, that's crazy. And I'm like, it doesn't matter anyway. Mostert's out there. It's the Detroit Lions. He's going to have 200 yards rushing and like five touchdowns and it's going to be over. Reggie Mostert breaks like the Twiggy is um, once again, um, trying to me trying to think he's going to have a big season and all of a sudden he's out. Luckily, I don't have him in fantasy in any leagues, but Elijah Mitchell goes off for 100 yards and a touchdown. He, and Jermichael Hasty stole a second touchdown from him. So I'm really surprised by Elijah Mitchell up to this point. 
Uh, the 49ers have always been known to kind of do running back committee, um, and it looks like that's not going to change. But I'm interested to see how week two goes. If Sermon is active, what the dynamic looks like between him and all three of these running backs in this backfield. I think Mitchell's going to have another good game against an Eagles defense that surrendered pretty hard to Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson, which was a bit of a surprise last week. Um, even if they only let up six points, they let up a hundred rushing yards to two running backs that I would have not expected them to. Um, but Elijah Mitchell looks really good. So I'm ready to see if this guy is real or if that was just a weak Detroit Lions D. It's all in your imagination, Justin. We'll find out week two, but no, no, he's, he's the, the real deal. The real cookie Marshall surprise player of week one. So I'll go with a few players. I think week one's always kind of hard because a lot of the later round rookies don't really have big roles. So you're looking at them in really small samples. Guys stood out for me is Josh Palmer. Um, I think part of his blocking. And I just think that the fact that they're confident to have a third down receiver. Now, Justin's talked about their receiving depth. So that may be, you know, out of necessity, but he just kind of looks like he belongs to me just off first glance. And I think the two players that I was obviously very high on, um, with the with the blue chip players, you see a lot of them early. They might play the whole game. You might get a huge sample. I think Rashawn Slater and Jalen Waddle are going to prove that they're just absolute superstars in this league. Slater had an absolutely fantastic game. Chase Young didn't give him problems for the third straight time. Um, so, it, like Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, like and Herbert looks Herbert looks even better than last year. So, and, and Waddle had that drop. Um, in the intermediate deep left side uh, where his he had to adjust his hands technique. But I think one of the more underrated plays was that touchdown that he had on that jet touch. Um, this guy is going to stretch the field horizontally and vertically, unlike any player except for Tyreek Hill. So I just think it was exciting almost to see after, you know, all this like draft stuff and us talking about these players on how many podcasts, but then to finally see these players and just be like, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool to see these guys. And I, totally. I think it's crazy to actually note that um, we were worried that Waddle's role might digress after this week because Will Fuller was supposed to return from suspension. He's actually out this week due to personal reasons now. So Will Fuller's personal issues seem to be continuing to wrap up, which I think is really going to benefit Waddle more than most people expected in a very, I wouldn't say deep, but very like large Dolphins back wide receiver core. It's a great point. I genuinely believe he's going to be a, a thousand yard re receiver even this year. Uh, maybe even that 1100 push with the extra game. I'll give it to him. I'll give it to him. But uh, Kevin, uh, for you, your most surprising player week one. All those guys that you mentioned, I agree with I, like Marshall, like you were right too with Waddle. Like I, I thought he'd be good, but I didn't think like against the Patriots week one, four receptions, five targets, 61 yards, a touchdown. I didn't think he'd be that good out of the gate, especially against the Patriots DBs. But a guy for me, Wiley veteran, sometimes questioned on the, on the show, sometimes not. Uh, split between NFL fans, whether they love him or hate him. Matt Stafford, man. Like, to light up the Bears the way he did Sunday night football, it looked like every single late fourth quarter drive that I would see with the Lions where he would just turn it up a year. Like he was throwing like dimes to Van Jefferson. I'm like, who's Van Jefferson? And like, it would just be like 40 yard bombs down the field. 
like 20 yard, 23 yard slant to like Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, like in the flat. It was just, he was operating on all cylinders. He might be a dark horse MVP candidate. And if he keeps this up, man, with that defense too, the Rams might be a Super Bowl team. I'm like, I have him the favorite. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm incredibly excited for him. So excited. Marsh. Yeah. Matt Stafford. I I just watched on tape. He, the 57, it was like 57, 58 yards in the air. Van Jefferson corner post. I mean, that's a, that's a route that like at pretty much every level, every level of football is like not available. Even most NFL teams, there's like six guys in the league. You could even try that throw with and McVay dialed that up pretty early. So that's it's it's nuts to see like that is such a that's why you draft this guy early like this guy was a number one pick for an obvious reason he's got a cannon um and obviously like he's a big upgrade over golf yeah and I think um Kev mentioned Van Jefferson I think the Rams have always been known to have a very strong three wide receiver set where all three wide receivers get extreme targeting I love Cooper Cup on that offense. I think Cooper Cup's going to have like a fantastic year out of all three of them. But I think Van Jefferson will have just as good of a year as Robert Woods will because he's now having to fill in for basically what Brandon Cooks was doing for a while there, what um, Josh Reynolds was doing when one of the wide receivers was hurt. Van Jefferson, I think he's a second round pick last year out, out of FSU, if I remember correctly. I actually really like him. He's another guy who's a sleeper that probably reached that 1100 mark with the extra game this season. I think that that offense just looks really potent and really good. Matthew Stafford really surprised me in that game um, as someone who is not a Matthew Stafford believer. Um, So I'm interested to see how the season progresses, but right now I think Van Jefferson is a wide receiver to watch very heavily for the rest of the season. All right, and here we go with the one and only Heineke from the Washington football team. He played yesterday from when we are recording this show. He played, um, uh, well, you know, Fitzgerald got injured and all that. So here he is now gunslinging uh, yesterday as well. This guy has come from basically nowhere, and now he's finally playing. Do we... Do we like him or not? Is he going to lead this Washington football team to a playoff berth? Or are some of these other teams in the NFC East finally going to come out and, and pick him off? What are, we, what are we thinking from this guy? And we'll go to Marshall first for your take. I think he's all right. I think he's going to end up being a backup. He's a little bit tracier than you expect kind of looking at him. I mean, we saw those two throws down the sideline to, to kind of lead them back. Um and he looked pretty good in, in relief for the Chargers game. He's played well, but that's kind of separate from the question, is he like a franchise player? And I'd lean no on that, that end of the spectrum. I think there's certain things that he can't do that you'd want a higher quality player, but he's, for what you're, you know, they, they extended him as well. For what you're asking him to do, I, I think what he's doing is pretty admirable. I think he's a really cool story. And I think that he's got a little bit of playmaker in him, even though, the evaluation on, on him is, is a little tricky. I'm not writing him off as quickly as I do with a lot of these. I call them Jake Fromm quarterbacks. Um, <laughs> that's so mean. But <laughs> but it makes like, sense. Yeah, but he's good for what they're doing now. But I think it's going to come to a certain point where when it comes time to pay that player, what do you do? And Washington's in a really 
tricky situation. Um, but I kind of thought that the best thing for that franchise would have probably been to have lost that game because I think there's a lot of issues on that team going back to the defense too. That defense did not play as well as they should have last game and that they have four first round picks on that defensive line. I mean, if you get four first rounders, like and we're talking blue chip players, like pick two, pick 14, pick 13, you know, Montez Sweat was pick 26, but realistically he only fell because of like a heart murmur. That guy was 260 and ran four, four. And that's a position where if you have those high caliber athletes and you're still not as good of a defense as, because that, that's what the stats kind of bear it out as they're pretty good, but they're not nearly as good as they should be. Um, and they've got some decent players on the back end too. So there's, there's other issues with why that, that defense is busting so much. And I, I think that they're going to be in a tricky situation in, in a little bit. It's an interesting take that I like. They, they should wish that they lost the game. That's a, that's a new perspective that maybe people do need to consider. Uh, Kevin, for yourself, uh, will he bring them to a playoff berth? I don't see the playoff berth only because I agree with like what Marshall's saying that I think Heineke, yeah, he is a traits guy and he can show he has the ability to run and he can play as a QB at the NFL level and spurts like coming off the bench or for an injury. But as like a long-term starter, I don't think he has the arm or even the size or like the athletic ability to like maintain that over like multiple seasons or like a, a 17 game season, even. Um, this might be a bad comparison, but he kind of reminds me of like Ian book, like the former Notre Dame quarterback a little bit, like huh. kind of like better than you would think like, Oh, like, you know, he has a bigger arm than I thought he had, or, Oh, he can like, he, he has some running ability that I didn't anticipate, but it's not to a status where you're like, Oh, that can sustain it. And he could be like a Lamar Jackson type athlete at quarterback or like a, like a, a pocket presence passer who can just, you know, destroy people with the pass. Washington, I mean, like they Marshall's right. They like they've invested a lot in their D line, but I still have questions about their corner, their corners. Like I still have questions like with the quarterback position, linebacker. Like there's some things where I think a team like the Eagles, which is revamped, I think the Eagles are I like for me the favorite at this point. Um Dallas kind of has to win one way where they have to like score over 30 points to win every game because their defense isn't going to stop anybody. So I think the Eagles being the most well-rounded and the least bad, if that makes sense, the least bad team, I think they have the most realistic shot to win the division. I put Washington probably as like the third best team in the division. Justin. Yeah, I, I had the fade Washington, which I'm like, Good for me as an Eagles fan. I feel bad that I have to fade Washington at this point. I don't think that Henke will be able to do a sufficient job that I think Ryan Fitzpatrick would have done. Granted, he looked really bad in week one before he got hurt. Um, but Fitz is out six to eight weeks. That's really going to fade Washington back a lot for me. It actually has me moving the Eagles as the next man on the totem pole to get the seventh seed. Um, this season I still think the Cowboys are the team to beat there um, Dak as Kev said they have to score over 30 points per game and Dak has been able to do that he's had a eight straight 400 yard passing games when he's played the entire game um, so 
I think Washington's pretty out of it at this point, though. Apparently, everyone is telling me, ah, Terry McLaurin is quarterback proof. No matter who's in there, he'll do great. And I was like, nah, McLaurin and Henneke against the Giants defense, which looked amazing last season. I was like, no way McLaurin goes off. I benched him (laughs) in fantasy, and I will regret that decision probably all weekend. Um, So keep playing Terry McLaurin in fantasy is the rule that I have made for myself now and everyone should have. So Washington may be without a strong quarterback, but they have a lot of great weapons that will make them competitive for a lot of weeks. And moving to the 49ers run by committee running game that Justin has already touched on, but you have the maybe unknowns in Elijah Mitchell and Trey Sermon's now Possibly going to be in the mix soon. Who knows? Hasty was in there a couple of times. Uh, who's going to be the main guy for the rest of the season? Or is it going to be somebody else? Is Trey Lance going to show up and he'll just be the running back? What's going to go on there in San Fran? Uh, we'll, well, actually, Justin, since you already touched on it a bit, we'll let you go first. You know, I, I said I liked Elijah Mitchell week two. I do think this is going to be Trey Sermon's job by the end of the season guaranteed. Um, I'm not sure on the number that I really like. I think this gives me a lot of like Ravens run game vibes from last season where they had like Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, and then JK Dobbins was the guy that everyone was like, is going to take over the job. Dobbins didn't look really good till like week 11 or 12 last season. And I think that Trey Sermon might be on a similar path where you may not see him reach his full potential probably till mid season is where Trey Sermon, I think will start receiving the most touches out of that running back backfield. I think you're going to see a lot of Elijah Mitchell on early down situations. And I think you're going to see Jamichael hasty on a lot of goal line situations, which for fantasy purposes, I think Mitchell is playable right now. But I think there's going to be quite a few weeks where all three of the running backs will produce pretty mediocre touchdown dependent numbers. So it's yet to be seen what's really going to happen. But I do think by the end of the season, you're going to see Trey Sermon and I'm choosing Elijah Mitchell in the first half of the season. And Marshall for yourself. I was muted. All right. I think Justin's pretty on point with, that analysis and going back to J.K. Dobbins, who was another high level player, running backs can sometimes either hit the ground running immediately. And it's very scheme dependent, whether you're running gap zone, um, whether you're under center or whether you're like a gun back. The 49ers have a very diverse run game. And I think that the scheme that they run is outside zone, which makes a lot of sense for their team and Shanahan learned it from his dad who coached it like years and years ago. He knows so many things about outside zone that I think he teaches it at a higher level based on the film, based on the product that I see from his team, watching his players. You don't know what goes on behind the scenes, but you can only kind of deduce, okay, either these are really smart players or there's like a coaching impact for this specific scheme. The answer is both. When you have George Kittle and, Trent Williams, like that's, that's like, that's really legit. Like those are two of the best blockers that you can get for that scheme. 
um, and, and use check as well. Those are the three big blockers that are very unique to the 49ers. Um, we saw the Jets actually do a similar type of scheme um, with Mike LaFleur and how they use Trevon Wesco. The thing is, outside zone, from what I've kind of gathered, takes time even at this level to kind of like really click. So the scheme itself is in place, but the running back has like three separate reads that he has to pair with his footwork. And so he's reading, like he's reading the defensive end leverage. And then he also has to read cutback lanes and like mirror his footwork to it while the line kind of coordinates their movement. I could go off on a tangent about this, but I think that the infrastructure is in place for Trey Sermon to take off. Not right now. I think it's going to be more of an Elijah Mitchell, Jermichael Hasty thing. But I think Mitchell can miss some of those cutback lanes that are there that a player with better vision can see. And I think Sermon has that type of potential. It just it needs to take like a little bit of time. But I think that team is unique in terms of how they teach outside zone along along with um, Gary Kubiak as well. Kevin, who's going to be your guy in that backfield? Well, you know, in my NFL fantasy draft, I drafted a lot of players who I'm like, hey, I need upside at this point because uh, established veterans are gone. And I drafted Trey Sermon, and I will say I guessed wrong now for probably several weeks now. It's probably going to be Elijah Mitchell, um, bound to get one pick wrong here or there. But, I, I mean, I think Trey Sermon, I think what you guys said is right. Like, I think he can come in midseason depending on, you know, if there's an injury to some of the receiving core, like Brendan Ayuk or, you know, Debo Samuel, if there's something along those lines where, again, we've been talking like injury prone team potentially, then I think Trey Sermon's your guy where if you need a dependable running game where your receiving options are dwindling, then Trey Sermon can come in and be that downhill running back, which is like, again, kind of like why I fell in love with him, like seeing him at Ohio state, because I saw like master Teague at Ohio state. And I'm kind of like, He's kind of plotting, but not really like a forceful runner. And then when Trey Sermon went in, it like he doesn't have breakaway insane speed, but it was still it felt faster than Master Teague and more forceful. Um, I think there was one play where he had against Clemson where like he like gave a guy a shoulder, stiffed armed somebody into the turf, and then like stiffed armed two people with like both arms while still holding on to the football. And I'm like, man, this guy's a running back. This guy's like what you'd want. So um, like I kind of see him as like a high potential guy, potentially as a running back, just pure running. But I think it's going to take time, like what you guys said. I think if their options dwindle, then they'll focus on the run more. But they might go for a guy like Mitchell now or McKissie even where there's some receiving options and they can still kind of spread the ball around. Um, There's a lot of moving pieces too because you – you're bound to think too that they're going to want to put Trey Lance in at some point to some degree um, this season. I don't think they're going to wait until fully next season for Trey Lance. Ohio state definitely could have used Trey Sermon last week for their own football game. I'll, I'll say that uh, not, not to say that I'm upset. Uh, Justin's laughing. I'm not sure if he agrees with me or not, but uh, go ducks. That's uh, <laughs> that's all I'll say. From, from State, baby. What, what do you guys uh what is what is your guys take been on cj verdell the oregon running back i feel like we got so good a oh my yeah. god last yeah. week what, what i will say is i i guess i can i'll admit i didn't see it coming and i'll be one of those guys who hops on the bandwagon but oh it was fun to watch and gus johnson makes everything more fun when you're watching a college football game so maybe he made him sound even better 
But oh, he was he was everywhere, man. It was it was awesome. Also, that QB, what's his name? Brown. He's kind of a gunslinger, low key. Yeah, he, he was throwing it throwing it hard. Um, accurate, I guess. I'm not really sure, but nonetheless, exciting to see a new team in the top four. Okay, uh, we digress. The rookie QBs for Week One in the NFL. What was rank rank the performances of these guys? You know the the main ones that that we've discussed here. I guess the only guys that even got a shot. But uh, let's go with ranking them. Uh, Justin, your take first. Well, first of all, we got to keep in mind that this is the first time in NFL history that five rookie quarterbacks scored a touchdown because Trey Lance and Justin Fields both got a touchdown as well in this game. Um, so I'm going to say that Trevor Lawrence is currently leading, uh, might've thrown three picks, but he got plenty of touches in week one. So it's hard to complain about that. It definitely showed that he has the ability with the football in his hand to score. It's just how many times does he have to touch the ball to get there? Um, next up, I, I think Mac Jones had a pretty good game. Um, the Dolphins defense is really tough and I thought he looked really good and I could say, the same about um, Zach Wilson. The Panthers' defense is slightly lesser, but honestly, he looked a lot better than I expected him to. And that running back backfield did not help him at all. So the fact that he had to do most of the work for that team was pretty impressive. Uh, Trey Lance threw a touchdown, so I'm going to give him the benefit over Justin Fields, who ran it in. Um, so Trey Lance, I, I thought that was a pretty good play. They had him run for that touchdown. It was exciting to watch all these guys get out there and cross the line or throw it across the line. Uh, Marshall. I think in terms of who played the best, I think Mac Jones was the most consistent in terms of total impact, but in terms of who was the most impressive, I have to go with Zach Wilson because he didn't start off well. Um, there was a play that he got sacked on by Brian Burns pretty quickly that um, was a zone blitz disguise and Burns was his guy and the Panthers did a nice little disguise on that too to kind of manipulate his eyes but that was on the quarterback and I think that the the two the receivers that he was dealing with like Davis and Moore and Mims as well I think they played well but I don't think that as we said like they're trying to run this, you know, boot action outside zone sort of scheme. Um, San Francisco 49ers-esque, but we're not really sure what they're doing yet. But it didn't really like the run. I think it was very, very promising to see how he played in that second half and the throws that he was capable of making. I think that that's a that's a player that I think will probably end up being the best rookie quarterback in a vacuum, it's just dependent on the situation itself too. But I, I think he showed a lot of a lot of promise in that game. And then Trevor Kevin, Lawrence, I think sorry. the thing with Trevor Lawrence is he he just missed. Like, like I, I don't know what other ways to kind of decipher it. I mean, he he just wasn't as accurate as he normally was. Now he has a tendency to miss high, like that was at Clemson as well. Um, but I think that that was really just on display. And I think that just the organization and then, you know, just playing your first NFL game, they didn't baby him. You know, they, they had him really go out and, you know, try to win. Um, and I think that Lawrence, like I traits wise, like that guy's, he's just going to be good. We've all said, I, I think that guy is going to be really, really good. Um, 
but what Jacksonville's doing is a little concerning as well. Hopefully they don't they don't blow his early career uh, like some other players have had to suffer through. Like Kevin, uh, I think I'm just going to give a straight ranking and then maybe break it down. But for me, one Mac Jones. I think like his takeaway performance would have to be at one Zach Wilson. I thought like what you guys said, super impressive at two. I'll probably go Trevor Lawrence at three, even though it was kind of like haphazard and there was some great flashes, but also like some things where again, like just missed coverages. Like there was that throw on the left side, I think where he threw like a pick six and it was like in double coverage. And then it just got taken back to the end zone. Like I'm not concerned about Trevor Lawrence. Um, and then probably it would be some form of like Justin Fields four, and then maybe like Trey Lance five. Like I, I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance, they're tar- they're hard to evaluate because it's kind of incomplete because they're not fully the starters yet. But I think you'll get a better idea, obviously, when they do. Especially Justin Fields, like I, I think, I think that could potentially happen soon. Got him as a stash pick and fancy. Keep it, keeping that, keeping on the down low. Um, but I think Mac Jones. The poise was impressive. It was a 74% completion percentage. I think he showed a lot of poise too against a divisional opponent. And like, yeah, his upside isn't as high as Trevor Lawrence or even Zach Wilson, but I think he's the most pro ready guy right now. And if the Patriots, if they're content or they know how to build a team, and I think they do, then you don't need him to be, you don't need him to be Aaron Rodgers. If he's just a solid franchise quarterback, if he's your Matt Ryan, like I said last week, like you got a really good quarterback. Um, I think Zach Wilson was impressive for me because I just assumed that like he was going to be in a bad spot because the Jets just basically broke everything down and they're coming in with Robert Sala and it was a competitive game. And I like I think honestly at this point the Jets are probably the better team in New York uh, over the Giants. Like I, I think the Giants have just really fallen on hard times. Different story, but I think the Giants are one of the three worst teams in the league right now. But okay, we can't let you spiral down this path, uh, man. We, okay, we, we gotta. We we don't want we don't want the uh, the depressing Kev to just continually crap on his team until it is no longer. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you from that. Thank but, you. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. Okay, uh, moving to the the Packers, we're gonna try to get in all of Justin's questions here within the hour, hour and fifteen minutes. So. No explanation. Are the Packers in trouble or was that just a fluky game one? Just tell me, Justin, was it fluky or is this what's going to keep happening? Uh, I think they're actually a tiny bit in trouble. I think it's going to be tough against the Bears going forward. It's going to be a tough competition to the end, but I think the Bears might actually squeak it out after seeing that performance, but we'll see. Wow, you're giving the Bears some, uh, you're, you're in it this year, huh? Hey, I, I said it was close last week. I, I'm beginning to feel a bit more about the Bears now. I, I didn't think their performance last week against the Rams was horrible. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like you've been wrong about the Bears, but you're 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 now on the new train. But uh, okay, uh, Marshall, are they in trouble or random random game? Rodgers isn't going to play that bad again. Rodgers is just missing throws. Like Rodgers and Trevor Lawrence had pretty similar games in terms of like why were they bad? Well, they weren't like. In, you know, deeply confused. They knew what was going on. They just missed throws and guys weren't open. Um, yeah, I think that like the, the, the Packers, the, the reason that I've given them so much crap is like that you should have picked a receiver in these past two classes. Like you, you were in position to take one because 
teams are able to double Devonte Adams and just play one-on-one across the board against your guys. Like teams aren't really scared of you. Um, so if you can't run the ball, it's usually hard and Rogers makes up for a lot of it, but like, that was the problem in the title game too. Like the, you know, if you double Devonte, like these other guys can't win one-on-one, they're not good enough. So, um, but Rogers will figure it out a little bit. A little bit until he gets too angry and then he might have to just quit. But, but Kevin, uh, in terms of concern, there's two levels of concern. Uh, it, it's not a concern if they're going to make the playoffs. I still think they're going to make the playoffs. They're a good enough team where they will. Aaron Rodgers is good enough. I think also, too, maybe not like playing in the preseason. Like, I, that could also like be a factor in it. Like, you're bringing in new bodies every year, even if you're coming in with some of the same guys. But I think long term, if you're, if you're thinking about a championship as a Packers fan, then yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I don't think Green Bay is going to win it this year. I don't even think they're going to get to the championship game. Like, there's real synergy problems. And I know people like are trying to compartmentalize what happened in the offseason, but like what goes on outside of a locker room, it inevitably comes back in. Like, you saw that all with like the last dance. Like, I know people are bringing that up as like the starting point here or for comparison, but. Unlike the last dance, I don't think it's going to end with Rodgers winning a championship for his last season here. And then you have a real, like, you have a real problem if you're Green Bay. Looking at Urban Meyer and the Jags, is it a concern for you that, that Urban Meyer is, is with them at all right now or how he's coaching this squad at all right now? For myself, he's a, he's a college coach, and that's how he seems to be right now as well. Um, the way he's treating just his talented offensive players. You know, he's excited about Trevor Lawrence. He threw, what, 50-something times, whatever. But then you kind of forget the rest of the football game and the idea that the Houston Texans shouldn't be scoring a score with a three in front of it unless it's only a single-digit final score. 37 points from the Texans is an embarrassment. Uh, it's very clear that he's just obsessed with college talent and that's where he belongs. Um, I also don't like him. So yes, I think it's a big concern for the Jags. Uh, that's my take. Marshall, your take. Oh yeah. Major problems. And I, I think that this team is really interesting pre-draft because, you know, someone like myself, I'll, when I study the draft, I have like a pretty good conceptual understanding of which players you can get where how you have to build out your team, first contract, second contract stuff, comp pick formula. The Jaguars, based on their draft capital and the position that they were in with their young talent, went, I think, the wrong direction. And it's because Urban has a lot of influence with this job. Urban's the, – the, here's where Urban's going to first go wrong, and it starts with the draft. Urban recruited as if he had a 90-man roster. That's where he's going. Who's he picking? Oh, he's picking ETN. He's picking Tyson Campbell. He's picking Andre Cisco. These are supremely athletic players because Urban's philosophy in college was if I can out recruit you and like a lot of, I, I, I've watched coaching clinics on Urban Meyer. He's a spread philosophy guy. Um, now he is very smart, but a lot of his tenets of team building are based on things that are like theoretical, like, oh, we're going to be really, really fast. Okay, cool. There's only so many fast guys that are also good at football. So I think that he's just gone for like all these upside swings without kind of realizing what the ramifications for them. You need players who are stabilizers for your organization to be like really, really, really solid and tough. And I have a feeling about this Jaguars defense. I don't know if they're tough enough. 
And that's not something we throw around very often, but I just don't think they're very physical. I don't think they spent many resources on D tackle. I think that he drafted a bunch of corners and not all of them are going to play. So I, I think there's a lot of philosophical elements and he's just going to have a major adjustment. Um, I didn't think they win week one. I don't know about their spread in week two. So we'll, we'll see about that. Kevin. I think for him, and I think Marsh, you touched on a little bit. I think it's a mentality thing where you're going from the college game, which is very different um, to the NFL game, the college game. It's a legacy game. It's, you know, traditional powers, Alabama, Ohio state, Oklahoma, for the most part, you can talk about your spread or you could talk about your offense or like what your game plan is, but ultimately the appeal comes from, Oh, by the way, like we're a traditional powerhouse and we recruit from the best and you'll be on a sick team with a bunch of other sick players. And we'll just, you know, stampede through like at least 75% of our opponents. You don't have that in the NFL. Everybody's fast. Everybody can jump. Everybody can run. Everybody's strong. It's literally the 1% of the 1% of college football. So like the higher up you go each level, you're getting the 1%, you're getting the elite of the elite farther up you go. And Urban Meyer, like it's not, you're going to have to assess talent better because you can't just out recruit people now. Like even like you might say like, well, but like, what about like New York? Like, well, or LA it's like, yeah, the LA teams are good because like they draft well, but like the, the New York teams, they haven't been good because they can't just out recruit everybody. They stink because they're bad at drafting and they make poor decisions. So it has nothing to do why you're good in the NFL with like your market or the fact that you're like a legacy franchise It has everything to do with um, your ability to assess talent scheme, all that stuff that goes into football. He's not going to have like a Ohio state where he can be like, Oh, come to the, you know, the legacy team that is the Jacksonville Jaguars that, that doesn't, that doesn't exist. So, I mean, he's in a tough spot. Uh, he is a smart guy. I just think though, like, he's a guy who like won like over 90 games, I think only lost eight times or seven times. And it's going to be an adjustment for him because he's probably going to lose over 10 games with this roster. Like it's going to be a longer building effort. Justin. You know, I'm not going to blame it on assessing the talent. I'm not going to blame it on the defense. I'm not going to blame it on Trevor Lawrence's three interceptions. This game was 100% Urban Meyer's poor coaching. When you have Trevor Lawrence throwing that many passes as a rookie, he is bound to throw interceptions and make early mistakes, which put the defense on less rest and put them in bad situations where the Texans were going to capitalize as a team of veterans. And Tyrod Taylor, who is not the best quarterback, is a veteran who has played in a lot of different places and knows a lot of different offenses, was bound to score on you eventually. I think Myers went out there and was trying to outscore the Texans. He was trying to be like a Dallas Cowboys type offense and score as many points as he could. And he completely neglected the kind of game pace that you need for an NFL team in a game you are supposed to win. A lot of us chose Houston here. I think three out of four of us chose Houston to win this game straight up. But Urban Meyer just didn't have the pace figured out with uh, James Robinson only having like six touches, nine touches that's bad. Like James Robinson should be a 20 touch back when you have a rookie quarterback in the NFL, he should be touching the ball a ton. And Carlos Hyde, I'm fine with him touching the ball too, but those running backs should have at least 20 to 25 touches bare minimum. 
And those should just be rushes, honestly, not even just touches. They should also have a receiving role on top of that. So let's say 30 to 35 touches for those running backs. There's no reason for Trevor Lawrence to be slinging the ball how he was in a week one in a game that you are expected to win. So I think Urban Meyer needs to come back. You're playing the Denver Broncos, who do have a decent rush defense. But I think you need to stick to the run a bit more and try to weaken the defense down before you open it up to Trevor Lawrence. I just don't think they gave Lawrence that chance to open up the passing lanes. So I'm hoping he reassesses and figures that out from looking at tape at week one and realizes that in the NFL you need a run game. But if he doesn't see that, it's going to be a worse season than I would have ever anticipated for Jacksonville. Yeah. Can I say one more thing, actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Urban Meyer, not even knowing him, I would bet you this. I bet that his understanding of the run game is not nearly as complex as, like, you know, someone like Josh McDaniels or, like, a Belichick or a Shanahan or an Andy Reid. The reason is because the spread run game is based off of box count. And this is what I'll always argue with people. Why are you trying to run the ball? There's seven people in the box. You should throw the ball. And – there's so many more components to the run game that they give your team certain advantages and they set up other plays for you as well. Um, and it actually turns into high variance running, which is why I kind of, you know, that's, it's a shame they don't have ETN. Um, and I just think that a lot of those spread coaches within like certain coaching communities for the run game itself, they can be thought of as gimmicky coaches. Now I can't speak to how much urban does or doesn't know, but spread offenses are meant to be run with quarterbacks who are just really elite or with players who have speed advantages. Like in college football, if you have an athlete who has a significant speed advantage, well, they're running like spread and super spreader concepts that basically just create these like massive holes. And it makes sense to play that type of, you know, to do that type of stuff. But in terms of like advanced game planning, like you can game plan for a spread offense because of how the back is offset a certain way to the quarterback. You can, it's easier to game plan for. So I don't think urban has this like advanced run game off of like up his sleeve based on like what I've read about him in the past. For the Cardinals moving on to the Cardinals, we're going to do another running back prediction who is going to be the main job back chase chase edmonds james connor if you want my take james connor is going to get the most touches chase edmonds will be out there for almost every third down and catch a bunch of passes so i don't know who you would call there in terms of strictly running i think it's going to be james connor's job but edmonds will certainly not be out of the situation there in arizona okay marshall yeah, I think Edmonds is going to be – he impressed me more. Uh, I'll just say that. I think Edmonds – I think he just adds a different dimension in terms of explosiveness with, with their run game. And I think for their run game, they want the faster back. I think the concepts that they're going to do out of the, out of the gun are probably more beneficial for a back like Chase Edmonds as well as with the receiving ability. So I definitely think it's Edmonds, um, and I think – you know, Connor will work himself in there, but I, I think that Edmonds is going to ultimately be uh, their back. Although the run, the real number one running back is Kyler Murray. <laughs> uh, Kevin, yeah, Kyler Murray is is the real number one running back on the team. Uh, 
But again, another plug for one of my fantasy guys. I, I have Chase Edmonds and I am actually high on Chase Edmonds after the first week. I last year I saw him play the Giants and I was very surprised by just his speed. Like they had him in opposing like to Kenyon Drake. And Kenyon Drake, you know, I, I know Jelly isn't very fond of Kenyon Drake and you know in years past. And like I'm kind of like, you know, 50-50 on Kenyon Drake, but Chase Edmonds uh, looked like a game changer compared to Kenyon Drake, where they were doing like jet sweeps with Kenyon Drake because they knew laterally the Giants couldn't keep up with them. So Chase Edmonds was just racing around like eight guys on the sideline going for like 10, 15 yard breaks routinely. And I think Chase Edmonds is honestly like a dynamic athlete who can catch the ball too. Like he had 43 uh, receiving yards like in the previous game. Um, I took a flyer later on because I'm like, I'm a little unsure because there weren't a lot of great running backs left in my fantasy draft, but I, uh, I, I like Chase Edmonds more than James Conner as a pass catcher. And I honestly, as a versatile runner too, a more aggressive runner, I think he could be more forceful than Connor. Justin. So it's very interesting. First of all, Kenyon Drake probably should play him this week in fantasy. Josh Jacobs was announced inactive this morning. Uh, so he will be the number one running back for the Las Vegas Raiders this week. But as far as this goes, Edmonds, I've always had a very weird vibe about. I always feel like he should be the number one running back. But I'm actually a bit worried about his athleticism as a whole. The Cardinals never fully committed to him in the past. He's always kind of just been there and done the occasional thing. And this was the first season where it really seemed like he was going to have that starting role until James Conner was released and picked up by Arizona. Um, So I'm not a huge Chase Edmonds guy, honestly. I never feel like the organization really gives him the opportunity and this week, they had 30-plus rushing attempts, and Connor and Edmonds split that pretty equally. And I understand that Edmonds does have that receiving benefit, but I'm actually going to go with the darker horse and go with Whitey here and say that James Connor is going to lead that Arizona backfield. I actually expect Edmonds to fade a bit as the season goes on. He's had work at about every down in the, game, in the first game, I expect him to probably go to a solely third down role as the season progresses and give it to James Conner, who has more veteran starting snaps. All right. And our last question before we start to uh, get into our, our week two talk uh, to, to wrap up the show, like we normally do. Um, so the, the Titans, are they in a bad situation without their play action attack? Um, so Justin, you can dive a little bit deeper into this as this is something you, I know, uh, brought up and want to talk about. Um, but basically overall, are the Titans going to be in trouble based off of what Justin's about to say? Yeah. So the Titans offensive coordinator goes to Atlanta, gets a new job. Atlanta did not start well at all by any means. Um, but for the Titans, they also looked really flat. Their play action was down by about 50%. Um, from the average last season and I think that really impacted the team across the board I don't think Ryan Tannehill is as good as everyone thinks but I think he's really good with play action and how that was run I think he was utilized very well so I need to see the proper utilization of Ryan Tannehill in order for that Titans offense to survive so if you don't see that change in the next couple weeks 
I honestly think the AFC South might be the worst division in football this season if the Titans can't figure it out and can't go back to play action. The Colts don't look good. The Jags we just talked about aren't going to be good. The Texans are consideration for the number one pick and are currently leading the division. So I think Tennessee is definitely in trouble, but I still think they're going to end up being the team to beat in the AFC South um, being very weak. So I hope they figure it out, but I'm a bit concerned that they've lost their identity a bit of being the Derrick Henry first team because all of a sudden they have Julio Jones and they think they need to do more straight up passing and play like a bit more of like the Matt Ryan play style for some reason. You know, the Colts now have the first ever midseason hard knock. So maybe that'll, that'll boost them up or they'll be silly and just get rid of their whole game plan and maybe they'll blow it. But uh, Marshall, do you think the Titans are kind of screwed here? Or they'll, they'll figure out that offense. I'm worried about the Titans. Um, and I don't, I don't know what the answer to them is because the past few years, they've really kind of honed their skills all under center. And I think that the questions with the line and with some of the kind of like ancillary players that we mentioned before, I'm just concerned. Um, I mean, I'd be fading Derrick Henry in fantasy. I think he's still going to do really well against, you know, teams like Houston and Jacksonville, but yeah, I, I'm definitely concerned. I don't know what the what the real answer is. You could try to become more like a drop back pass team, but they're two conflicting philosophies. It's harder to tie them together. Um, you can do it, but teams will like key on what you're what you're doing, and it, it won't have the same effect. So they'll have to almost implement like a dual philosophy, which is going to be really weird. Um, and I'm not sure how they're going to do it. Kevin, you think they're they're all right and this is all hullabaloo or do you think there's a big problem here? Uh, I think they're stuck. I think what we've seen is like the, it, it's honestly reached its peak, the Tennessee Titans experiment in terms of they got Ryan Tannehill uh, when he was really damaged from Miami and Adam Gase. And I, I think Ryan Tannehill is closer to Derek Carr than most people think. In that Tannehill, when he's running play action, when he's doing the RPO stuff, you're like, wow, this guy's a franchise quarterback. But when you see him outside of RPO, he feels very pedestrian or otherwise below average. Like there's no time where I've watched Ryan Tannehill over the past two years or so and was like, wow, Ryan Tannehill, you know, just wowed me with that throw. Like I've never been wild like I was wild by Matt Stafford or – and I think that's that's the tricky part is people think he's like a high-end franchise quarterback or even just a franchise quarterback. And I think, nah, he's kind of more like a baseline starter type that you can have in for a season or two. And he's good for maybe a transition for when you want the franchise quarterback to come in and then take over an offense and do things like heaving the ball down the field more or doing stuff beyond RPO. Um, I think they're just stuck. And I think, like, honestly, it could be – People could say it's free fall, but I think it's just natural regression for them. I think they've reached their peak. Uh, the pass rush, it's still not there. Uh, cornerback depth is a little bit more shaky now. And they're trying to incorporate Julio Jones and like what Justin just said, like an Atlanta Falcons, Matt Ryan type offense. And Ryan Tannehill isn't, uh, he's not a type of quarterback like a Matt Ryan. Like Matt Ryan's a better quarterback. Than, uh, than Ryan Tannehill. So 
the fact is they're trying to make something of him that maybe he isn't. And I think if they go beyond the RPO, they're in big trouble, but they're also stuck because they can't get better with, with just relying on the RPO. Okay. Week two stuff, your most exciting matchup in week two, one that you are just going to be stuck on. I'll be the first to say it. I'm not really enticed by many of the games this week. However, I will say Cowboys chargers and the Steelers Raiders. Uh, that sounds biased, but it's really not. Those are my, my two favorite games. Most likely this week. I, I find a lot of these others to be kind of lopsided. Maybe you got the 49ers Eagles, but those are, those would be my three. Those would be my three. Uh, I guess by exciting, I mean games that will actually be close, but that's my take for week two. Uh, Justin, what's your take? You're, you're giving me a weird look here with your eyebrows. I can't tell if you're like, shut up or, or if you like it. Well, it, it's, it's interesting because I think this week actually might be shockingly competitive. If you look at the spreads, there's only two spreads that are a bigger difference than six points which is crazy to me, like, speaking, because I feel like there's always a bunch of, like, seven-point games that always annoy the heck out of me. (laughs) Six-point spreads, you like those. You win by a touchdown or you don't win by a touchdown. Those are a bit easier. So I'm used to seeing the seven, seven seven-and-a-half-point spreads, and I'm just not seeing them as much this week. Um, But I'm going to go with a game that I always feels like a heavy shootout in the Bucks falcons I think that is going to be a surprising game. I think the Falcons offense will rebound in this game because they will have to pass the ball a lot more. Um, I'm expecting a pretty big week from Calvin Ridley here. Um, And I think Kyle Pitts will finally have a touchdown this week. So I'm expecting a super high scoring game. It's going to be a shootout. Um, And yeah, that's, that's what I always love to see is the big shootout games. Kevin for you. Well, for me, I'm interested with 49ers Eagles. Uh, the Eagles came out and I thought it was a really kind of impressive showing besides, you know, arguably like the run defense with the amount of yards they gave to like Mike Davis and company. But I want to see what the Eagles do in week two, like how much of their offensive success was it? Was it somewhat fluky? Is there going to be regression? I'm not high on the Falcons uh, personally, but 49ers banged up corners. Can they overcome that? Is San Fran the team that we thought going into the year? That's a game that I'm really looking at. Also, too, on the low key, Bills Dolphins. Like seeing what the Bills do after that week one loss to the Steelers and seeing if the Dolphins uh, can maintain competitive play after what we just saw with them in Foxborough. Marshall. Uh, so I got three games that I'm kind of looking at. I'm, I, I'm on the Carolina side for New Orleans at Carolina. I think the, the Davenport played really well against, uh, against Green Bay, and I think the Lattimore injury is a really big deal. I think Carolina is a team that you're going to want to bet on when they're playing teams with not that great at corners, um, and especially not like an, a, a great rush. Um, Taylor Moton's their best offensive lineman. I don't love the best of the, the rest of their O-line that much, but – I don't think it matters as much because McCaffrey just finds a way to kind of like slither through these creases. He he's very, the he's not as O-line dependent as certain running backs, which is kind of weird. Um, but that's just his skill set. Uh, the other one is Cincinnati, Chicago. I, I think that Cincinnati is a fake team. I think that, you know, I, I think they're a fake team against a real defense. And so people are going to want to fade Andy Dalton here, but I think that Chicago is probably the play to, to go here as well. 
And I think that the Eagles and San Francisco game, I'm still figuring out where I want to go on this game um, in terms of like money line parlays and what I want to throw in there. It's creeping towards Philadelphia. Um, I know a lot of places are plus 130, plus 140, and a lot of people really like the Eagles to kind of keep this up. So I, th- I, I think there's a slant on this game, still figuring this one out, though. But I, I think those are the three games you might want to look at. Our hot take for week, week two in the NFL is what? Fill in the blanks. Uh, this is specific to week two, so not just the year like we, we tend to do. Um, we've already said some ridiculous things for the year, but for just week two, another ridiculous thing. Justin, start us off. The Dolphins are going to beat the Bills this week, being home in Miami, but they will do it without scoring a touchdown. I have the Dolphins winning with six field goals by Jason Sanders on the day. <laughs> Love that. Love that. Um, Kevin. So the Giants at home against the Falcons will lose 0-3 and they'll fire Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, and company, and then another rebuild will commence. Wow, so you're skipping all the way to week three after that one. Good for you. Good for you. Um, Marshall. I don't know how hot this is, but uh, I think Carolina is going to beat New Orleans straight up. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I like I like Carolina, and I like the Jets in a teaser if you're going to put them. Oh, also going oh. to the Jets game this week. Oh, you are? That's exciting. Yeah. Sweet, so, sweet. Where, where are you sitting? Uh, I don't know. My buddy got me tickets, so Love I will find that out when I get there. Uh, my hot take is Trevor Lawrence will throw for 450-plus yards, and he will still uh, throw over 55 times uh, in week two because Urban Meyer's not going to get it until Trevor Lawrence's shoulder falls off. That's my take. One sec. Oh, yes, please. So I made, I was so annoyed at the Giants that I made the mistake of thinking that their week three was week two. So I I kept on thinking it was week one. So my pick would be the Ravens beat the Chiefs on Monday Night Football. Okay. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Now we are into week two predictions. We're just going to, you can toss them the spread if you want, but we're going to do our money line predictions. Now, Justin has been, Gracious enough to uh, offer records for us moving forward. Now, Jelly, uh, did you do that for week one as well? Or are we starting now? Or Yeah, no, I have everything for week one, including we did last night's game off air so that we keep track of it. In I don't know if I want to hear this. <laughs> in first place right now at 10 and 7 is Kev Slattery right now. What, really? Damn, you are in the lead right now, you know? You got some of those big games like the Saints and Houston. You know, that really helped you a bit. Um, I think it did. And in second right now is the Andrew Marshall at nine and eight. Nice, And bringing up the rear is Ellison Whitey at eight and nine right now. (laughs) Start off the season. Uh, Pretty rough start, honestly, all around. You'd think a straight-up pickup we'd be doing a bit better. But let's see if we can rebound in week two. There's a there's a reason why I don't gamble, but I will say uh, so this is a competition amongst us all. But as a unit, we don't want to be an embarrassment. So we're all we're all pushing for (laughs) for winning records, definitely for each of us. 
Um, and then once we're, you know, once we snipe 80% of games, then we can nitpick on who's, uh, who's better, of course. Uh, anywho, uh, week two, after the rust is over, let's go through it. Just write down the list like we did last week. Explanation, not really necessary if you want to make a comment, sure. But Raiders, Steelers, go. I got Steelers, Najee Harris, 120 yards. Uh, Justin. I am taking the Steelers over the Raiders, 31 to 24. Ben's going to have a rebound game. Okay. Actually, since you, I imagine you're writing it down, would you prefer to go last on each of these? If that helps. Either way is fine. I don't have a preference. All right. We'll, we'll probably switch it up so you go last. But Kevin, Steelers, Raiders. Ooh, it's at home against the Steelers. So I'm going to go Steelers on this one. Marshall. Are we going straight picks or do you want to go to spreads? Uh, I think straight picks because we're already bad enough. Or Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll go Steelers here. All right. Love it. Um, Bengals, Bears. I got, I got bears. You know, I'm going to toss out some spreads for fun, but I got bears for uh, by three. Kevin. I got the bears mauling the Bengals in Chicago. Marshall. Uh, I got the bears in this one. And, with and, <laughs> and jelly. I've also got the bears with the spread. Love it. Love it. We're, we're really crapping on Cincinnati. Okay. Um, not, not only after Marshall called them a fake team. Um, Texans versus Browns. This is going to be tighter than I think people believe, but I am sticking with the Browns and Marshall. I'll take the Browns and the spread. Minus 13 is a lot, but I, I, I feel good about this one. That is a lot. Good for you. Good for you. Get, get after it. Kevin. Yeah, I'll go Browns too. Spread sounds comfortable as well. Jelly. I have the Browns with the spread, 24 to 10. Nice, nice. Okay, Rams versus Colts. I got Rams by a, a quadrillion. Um, Marshall. I got the Colts winning this one. I dig it. I dig it. Kevin. I got the Rams by two scores. Justin. I am taking the Rams 24-17 in this one. 24-17, I dig it. This one, exciting matchup, Bills-Dolphins. I think the Bills will figure out their struggles from week one. Defense of the Dolphins not nearly as good as Pittsburgh, so I got Bills by uh, a couple TDs in this one. Marshall. Bills win, Dolphins cover. And Kevin. Well, this is a tough one. I'm going to go Bills. Uh... Justin. You've heard me. Six field goals wins it for Miami, 18-14. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Patriots, Jets. I got the Jets by four touch. No, no, no. I got the, I got the, um, the Patriots. No, you know what? No, I think the Jets are going to win this game. That's going to be my hot take of the week. Jets win week two. Marshall. Pats will win. Jets will cover. Kevin. I got Pats winning, extending their win streak against the Jets to 11 straight. Justin. I have actually also have the Jets in this one, 21 to 20. Maybe we'll stay on the bottom of the totem pole after this week. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see what happens for our wacked takes. Wicked, that's not right. Okay, Saints, Panthers, Jamie Winstey is going to keep hitting it up. I got the Saints. Marshall. Uh, I've got the Panthers in this one. Kevin. I got the Saints, two scores. Oh, okay, Justin. 
Marshall mentioned it before the show. He mentioned it on the show. I also have Carolina this week in the upset at home, 27-26. Oh, that'll be a tight one. Maybe we'll get another field goal keeper for you. Okay, Broncos-Jaguars. Oh, why is this one more difficult than I want it to be? No, the Jaguars blow. Broncos, Marshall. Broncos win Jags cover. Kevin. I got the Broncos winning by two touchdowns and a safety. <laughs> Always got to toss in that safety. Week two, it's, it's going to be in the Broncos game from Kev. Okay, Justin. I, I think there's a lot of hate for Jacksonville. I think they are going to rebound. I think Denver's slightly overrated after that week one performance. So I'm giving it to Jacksonville. 23-21. Upset man of the week, Jelly. Uh, Vikings, Cardinals. I got Cardinals by a quadrillion. Marshall. This is a hard one. I'm going to go the Cardinals, but this this is weird. I'll, I'll go Cardinals. I'll go Cardinals and Cardinals to cover, but this is weird. <laughs> I love when you say that, but this is a weird one because you know you got the football gears like just churning and churning in your yeah. head, and I, I, I oh, all about it. Okay, Kevin. Oh, I'm going to go Vikings on a field goal. Keeping it close. Okay. Captain Kirk keeps it close. Okay, he likes Gavin. that. <laughs> Justin. Cardinals win and beat the spread. 33-27, high-scoring affair. Okay. And Falcons, Bucks. I, I, I really just don't want to, but Buccaneers for me is my pick. Marshall. Bucks win, Falcons cover. Kevin. Uh, Buccaneers, but only by a touchdown. Jelly. Yeah, I mean, I think this spread is, like, way too big. I think this is – this would probably be my hit for the week if I was betting. Um, but Bucks will win the game, though, 38-27. Cowboys, Chargers. And I, I really like this game, actually. Uh, oh, man. I'm going to – I'm going to give – the Cowboys did not. I find that the Charger, the Chargers will blow this in the fourth quarter like they have in years past. And uh, either C.D. Lamb or Amari Cooper will have a fourth quarter 50-yard bomb to end it. Um, Marshall. I think the Chargers are going to win and cover. Uh, I think the lack of rush for the, for the Cowboys without Marcus Lawrence and the bad safeties are going to be a problem. Kevin. I'm going to say Cowboys win. Both teams score over 30. Chargers lose because they miss a field field goal attempt. Justin. Dak and cheese. Cowboys win 28-27. Titans, Seahawks. I got the Seahawks. That lock of connection looking smooth. Marshall. Mm, Another weird one. I'll go Tennessee plus six and a half. I don't like Seattle when they have this much of of a... spread but Seattle's winning Seattle's gonna win Kevin I'm gonna go Seahawks by a touchdown Justin I'm going to say that Tennessee goes back to play action rebounds and wins this game 27-24 Chiefs Ravens is that Sunday night or Monday night Sunday night Chiefs Ravens uh I think the Ravens are incredibly mediocre and overrated this year uh, of course, some of the injuries may have caused that, but uh, Chiefs for me, 
by by a good amount. They're looking good again. Marshall. Another weird one. I think Baltimore wins or Baltimore. God, this is so hard. I think Baltimore somehow wins this game. Somehow. All right. All right. No logic Man. to it. There's no logic. <laughs> That's all good. That's all good. Justin. Whoa, whoa. Sorry, Kevin. Kevin. Oh, um, yeah, this is a tough one. I'm going to go Ravens win. Oh, actually, I already had the Ravens win. I said Ravens before. But I think Lamar Jackson has over uh, 100 rushing yards. I think he goes off potentially. RB1 Lamar. Uh, Justin. Oh, yes. I honestly think this is another like lock of the week for me with Kansas City with a three and a half spread. I'd probably take that almost every day of the week. So I'm going to take Kansas City. All right. And Monday night football. Um, I hate to say it, but I, I'm, I'm surprised this is going to be televised. But Lions versus Packers. The Packers will, will fix it and figure you know, No, the Lions are going to win this one. Uh, DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson are going to keep kicking some booty. The Packers will figure it out, but I don't think their defense is sufficient enough. And the Lions offense uh, will, will pour a little bit on just enough. Uh, Marshall. Green Bay wins. Do they cover? Yes, I think they do. I don't think they take their foot off the gas with this game. I think they were embarrassed last week. Fair point. Kevin. What's the spread? It's in Green Bay's favor, but it's 11, 11 and, ten and a half. Yeah. Oh, it's a lot of points. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'll go Green Bay touchdown or field goal. I think Detroit plays a little bit more inspired than people maybe think, but I think Packers. Just. I think Detroit's going to look surprisingly good in this game. I think Jared Goff is actually going to have a good performance. I do think they cover, but I am taking Green Bay. I'm also insulted because Whitey skipped the Eagles game. Uh, but uh, I guess, I'm hoping we'll get back to it. <laughs> That's incredibly awkward. Whitey certainly skipped the Eagles game. Um, it, it was not out of spite. As I did say, it was one of my three favorite games to watch this week. So uh, completely just blind for a second. My apologies. 49ers versus Eagles. Um, one of the tightest games of the week, even according to the spread. I will go Eagles pull out another one. And it'll be the, it'll be the young guys. Uh, rigor and um wow devonta smith will be popping off eagles for me marshall i'm going niners but i might change this one so put it in pencil (laughs) (laughs) kevin uh white snub the eagles because he's a closet giants fan (laughs) um secondarily secondarily you know jersey connection um of course i got eagles by a touchdown close game tough call but eagles just i like the eagles a lot i think they are being overrated now based off of that falcons performance i am taking the 49ers with the spread in this one love it love it all right folks that will do it for q hot takes my name is andrew white i've been alongside justin ellis kevin slattery and the Andrew Marshall that does it for another week of this show. We'll probably get another one next week before week three uh, recorded and out there. I'm signing off yours saying it's a great day to be alive. Go dogs playoffs and Steelers playoffs too. Go birds. Hit them where it hurts. 
I'm adopting the Chargers as my uh, replacement team to root for this year. Just, I don't know, something more exciting, something that I can be happy about. Um, I don't know. I just... I'm getting ready for the Knicks opener, man. That's what I'm getting ready for. Go Zach Wilson and the Bills. If you can root that way.